Today we uh, wrap up a series of messages, obviously, that we've addressed uh, women. And if you're here for the first of these three services, we're glad that you're here. Today's message is uh, a dangerous message. And I would uh, classify it as dangerous. It's information that could set a lot of women free. It has potential to storm the gates of hell and to break down some strongholds in ladies' lives. I won't pretend that this message is easy for me um, to deliver today, but I'm committed to the Word of God, I'm committed to speaking truth, and I'm committed to seeing uh, people at Grace Community be set free. And so specifically today, this message is not given to exploit. You'll hear truths and realities that you might not have heard uh, recently on a Sunday morning in a local church. But part of the problem, I think, is this, is there's fear that Satan has enveloped communities of believers with, and they're afraid to let truth surface. My Bible tells me that truth sets people free. And so today, I will walk gingerly and um, talk kindly and Everything that I'm about to say, let me, let me classify by saying this. I'm, I'm doing it as, with much grace as possible um, because women need to be free. And more and more and more in my corners that, uh, that I spend time in um, with ladies and men, um, these issues that I talk about today are not being spoken about. So... Just to let you know ahead of time, there will be some information here that might be hard-hitting. Let me also preface this by saying this. Husbands, be prepared for conversations with your wives and potentially with your daughters that you might not have ever had. Conversations that normally go the other way. And so I'm asking you to ask God to pack you full wisdom as you receive this message today. And, and in doing so, if you're married, we'll be able to support and help those around you who might be dealing with some of these issues. I'm also very, very passionate about the local church. And there's a part of me that, uh, that lays awake at night when I see the trends where I see Satan is winning. I hate Satan with all my heart. And I hate sin with all of my heart. And so if I have an opportunity to address that in the local church... I want to see the gates of hell pushed and smashed down. And so today I'm going to walk through some really uh, tender stuff. And I'm excited about it. At the same time, I want you to know that's the groundwork and that's the foundation through which I'm speaking today. I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm just giving you information that will help you. Let me also say this in response to a few messages that we've already had. Let me speak to husbands here and men here today, candidly, like I'd love to. Um, if you think that somehow the wounds that your wife feels or the girlfriends have felt be- around you, that you aren't somewhat responsible for some of those, you're a fool. Um, to think that somehow that you are remiss of responsibility in, in helping your wife, if you're married, to be the woman of God. And to think that it's only her fault for what she's experienced if you're married, you work together. And my desire is this, that you, didn't, you don't walk away from any of the services we've been in and say, well, finally, someone spoke the truth. It's your problem, and it's not because of me. I'm going to speak to you in a couple of weeks um, regarding some of those things. But just for the record, uh, we have a lot of responsibility, guys, as husbands to lead our wives and to fight for them and to battle for them. And most of you know that. But just in case any of you used it as an arsenal against your wife, um, you're a fool. Um, And the Word of God says that. And so, enough said. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Uh, But but today, um, we're going to talk to ladies. And we'll talk about a daughter's vices. The things that a woman has that cause her to do patterns that she's not pleased with. A vice is a moral fault a, a failing, a blemish, a defect. By the way, guys, we have plenty of them. But today we're going to talk to women. Some of the vices that aren't necessarily addressed uh, often in circles. 
A vice is an abnormal behavior that is detrimental to your health. And so as a result of that, these vices that you default to naturally because of the flesh that's in with you and the old sin nature that's in you can control you and cause you to be less than what Christ wants you to be. And so we're going to go right at him. We're going to look at him today and we're going we're to address some of these issues with hopes, not just to throw them out there and just let them hover around, but that you take these and you put them in settings and you talk them out and you, and you center upon God's word and you get some accountability around you, a woman that you can go to that will listen to you, that you can trust, and you find help in Jesus Christ and your identity in Jesus Christ. First, we must realize this, and I want you to grab your Bibles, and we're going to begin the foundation of vices by saying this. Most of our vices, and I would say the majority, if not all of the vices of women, are rooted in the lies of the enemy. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 11. We need to put foundation to this message today with vices to realize that we have an enemy who has this attack plan for us. And if we don't battle it correctly, he will again and again and again defeat us. God has given us a prescription in order how to fight back in the Bible. So we're going to begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and set a foundation for today's message. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Stand with me and we'll read it together, these two verses that kind of set off the foundation that, that vices are rooted in, often in the lies of the enemy. Look at Ephesians 6. Let's read verses 10 and 11 together. Read it with me. Ready, read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You may have a seat. Turn back while you're taking a seat to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Same author, speaking to a different church, same scenario, basically the same reality. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Paul is addressing the church at Corinth, how to deal with forgiveness, and if they don't deal with it correctly... He says, you need to deal with this kind of forgiveness because of this. Look at chapter 2 and verse 11 of 2 Corinthians. He says this, in order that Satan might not, what? Outwit us. For we are not unaware of his, what? Schemes. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 talks about Satan's schemes. He has a, a strategic plan to destroy you. And so, if you're unaware of that then you're in trouble. So this morning, before you breathed your first breath, before you saw daylight, before you woke up in the middle of the morning, before you got up and were ready to go, Satan had already been scheming to attack you, to come after you. Any good coach, any great coach on any sports level will often watch the other team that they're about to play, the other opponent, and watch the videotape of the other opponent to see where their weaknesses are. If you're a volleyball coach, like Carly Hibb, by the way, great job for, for Fairfield sectional champs 3A. If you're a volleyball coach like Carla is, or if you're a basketball coach or a football coach or whatever you are, you will watch the other team's offense and defense and team. And you'll begin to strategize. Wow, there's a weakness. And if we, if we hit to this side, if it's football, if we run to this side, that, that linebacker is weak. Or if we're playing volleyball, if we, we spike or set here, there's a, there's a weakness here. And so there's these schemes as a coach that you will attack the weaknesses of the other team. And you will use your strengths and their weaknesses to strategize and try to plot out a win. Satan does the same thing for us. And so as he looks at our lives, he sees where our weaknesses are. You have a propensity to this, a propensity to that. He's the coach looking at his opponent. And so he's looking at us and saying, there's a weakness. So my strategy will be to attack in that weakness and to make this woman fall. We have a responsibility. Satan is our opponent. We need to be prepared for the attacks that he brings us. We need to be properly dressed. We need to be properly fed. We need to properly read up and prayed up so that we can go not only on defense, but we can go on offense and push him back and therefore win the game that we're in. And one of the primary ways is Ephesians 6. I can't overemphasize 
for the sake of this message and for the sake of your life. How important it is. Some people hear this and say, oh, Jim, it's nothing. Listen to me. This should be a pattern of your life. Every single day, you should get dressed spiritually. You should put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness. You should walk in the belt of truth and the feet shy with the preparation of peace. You should have your weapons in your arsenal ready for the game and the war that you're in. Otherwise, Satan will attack and push you around. First thing I did this morning, got up and I put on the spiritual armor. I've been doing it for most of my life. It's like, why wouldn't I get up and get dressed physically at the same time get dressed spiritually? I can't overemphasize how important this is. Please, for the call of God on your life, get dressed properly spiritually every day. Otherwise, you've heard me say this analogy. It's like you walking out into the middle of a war zone. You're out in the middle of Afghanistan. They send you out on the front lines and you're standing in your underwear ready to battle. That's the picture. Satan's going to pick you off. So you must get dressed because the enemy is ready to attack you. Can we at least admit that Satan has won too many battles in our lives? In areas that we're supposed to be winning in. Are you willing, ladies, to admit that it's time to stand victoriously as the woman of, women of God and to stand and say, we will win, and I am confident and secure and bold in Jesus Christ. Any daughter in this room wants to be bold and confident in Jesus instead of being weak and anemic. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here today. Picture yourself as a confident follower of Christ. Picture yourself as this daughter that that sees herself ready to take on the world because you are covered with righteousness. You are covered with God's, God's power and his authority. You are covered with his protective armor. And anything that comes your way, you will win because you have Christ in you and through you and with you. That's how you could wake up every day. But for far too long... You have left insecurity be your ruling power. And when this happened, Satan wins. By the way, demons smell a woman's brokenness. Like sharks see blood in the water and want to attack. They move and take an advantage of the weakened soul of a woman. And so Satan, he gets reports back from his demons. The strategy to come back. And he writes up a scheme. He has a scheme for your life. The Bible says it does. It says, don't be unaware of his schemes. So as an opponent, you have to be properly equipped to battle when he comes at you with his schemes. And if you're not properly equipped, if you're not ready for the battle, he will eat you alive. Satan, by the way, is afraid of you when you're fully equipped and dressed and ready to tackle. He can't stand seeing women fully alive in Jesus Christ. But the tumble, the path for sin for women often begins when you begin to compare yourselves to other women. It's one of the primary ways that women fall when they don't have confidence in Jesus Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and look at verse 12. This is one of the primary pillars of your foundation that will often cause you to fall. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Look what it says. Paul says, We do not dare to classify or what ourselves. Compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not what? So here's the picture. Every woman unless she's walking in authority in the confidence and security of Jesus Christ, goes on this journey to compare herself to another woman. Whether it's physical, whether it's looking at her husband and saying, wow, I wish my husband was like that woman's husband. Whether it's to look at her achievements, boy, how come she has done that and I have this? Whether it's to look at her home, wow, look at the house that he has given her. Whether it's her vehicle, whether it's her degree, whether it's her accomplishments on the, in the sports arena, it's so easy for women to fall here. You will have a lifelong temptation to compare yourself to another woman and often to another woman's marriage and to another woman's husband that she has. 
The Bible gives references to this. Don't compare yourselves to other people. If you want to find your identity, look to Jesus Christ. He is your identity. He made you. You are, you are, you are his child. And we looked at you are beautiful in his sight. He's bedazzled by you. He's spellbound by you. If you could just put that into the imprint of your hardwiring and your DNA and say, God is spellbound with me, you would walk differently. The Bible says, be careful because if you don't allow that to be your DNA, he will attack and you will begin to compare yourselves to every other woman that's in your sphere of living. That's why it says this. Just listen to this. Eugene Peterson in the message says this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26. He says, that means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Ladies, think about it that way. Psalm chapter 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The reality is this. You don't need to compare yourselves to someone else because you're an original. There's no one like you. God didn't make anyone like you. There will never be anyone like you. And when he made you, he said, it's good. You are an original. So when the minute you begin to compare yourself, you will never be that person because they're not you and they are an original and you are an original. And your identity and your originality is incredible in God's eyes. Drive that home. Then Eugene Peterson said this. Just listen to this. He said this in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. He says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love, be loved or loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. And then he says this in Galatians, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and, un and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. So for many women who don't know who they are in Jesus Christ, you woke up this morning, and, the, and you are already saying, wow, look, I'm not like that. I'm not like this. I'm not like this. You have begun to depersonalize other women in your life because you're insecure. When you begin to personalize them, it ends up, and you end up despising them and scheming for ways to get what they have. You don't even see them as people. You just want what they have, especially when it comes to friendships. I want to give you a woman's perspective who addressed this idea of how women depersonalize other women. Listen to this perspective from, from uh, Beth Moore. This is what she has to say about depersonalizing. She says this, when you as women feel threatened by another woman, she says we need to personalize her instead of depersonalize her. She said it's Galatians 5 spoke so clearly to our present subject matter that I almost pole vaulted ahead of myself to write that chapter. In a segment of scripture dedicated to drawing a stark contrast between natural living and supernatural living, empowered by the Holy Spirit, she says, we're implored to drop the vicious habit of depersonalize everyone into a rival. Listen to what she says, ladies. You'll connect with this. She said, read those words a couple times and start in analyzing the concept in your own experience. That's what I did. I began to test the indictment on every rising temptation. I had to feel either threatened by or competitive towards another woman. Even if for only a moment, in no time at all, I knew Peterson's translation was right on target. In order to successfully view someone as a rival, we have to depersonalize her to a measurable event. Listen to what she says, and make no mistake, it's a vicious habit. In order to nurse a rival mentality, we almost always view our competitor through a one-dimensional lens. She is not a person. She is a contender. 
If she got the guy we wanted, we don't see her in terms of a multi-layer of ups and downs, self-doubts, and second guesses. We depersonalize her into a manipulator or relationship wrecker. It's easier to despise her that way. If she got the promotion we saw, she's the embodiment of selfish ambition in tan hose and black pumps. If she's more attractive than we feel, she's only skin deep. We can't fathom that she's ever been betrayed or brokenhearted. The list goes on. And the concept remains intact. And she gives these two great illustrations of this. She says, when we go against the grain of our human nature and determine to personalize someone instead, rivalry loses its betting ground. She said, my oldest daughter attended junior high and high school with a total phenomenon. Her friend, Brittany, was not only beautiful, she was smart. That wasn't all. She was so incredibly gifted at sports that her name made the Houston Chronicle numerous times. She was just the kind of girl so threatening that none of her female classmates and team members should have liked her. The problem was they couldn't help it. Brittany was also one of those rarities as endearing as she was talented and as gracious as she was attractive. Amanda, my daughter, was crazy about her. Still, as a matter of fact, and the feeling has always been mutual, if my much shyer girl was ever jealous of the friend that couldn't, couldn't shake a spotlight, I never caught a glimpse of it. Amanda never could depersonalize Brittany enough to make her rival her. Then she says this. Now let's raise the stakes and go from a sweet example to one that where the odds are beyond every fair player. A dear friend of mine lost her young husband years ago to an ugly affair that turned into a wedding. My friend didn't have the luxury of running from every reminder because their unsuccessful marriage had resulted in two beloved children. This meant that she came face to face with the happy couple at least every other weekend and at every school and sporting event. By anyone's standard, she had every right to hate the woman who had taken up with her man. And granted, she did not allow herself to bask in disdain for a couple of long and miserable years. Then one day, while we chatted on the phone, she mentioned something in passing about some advice she got from her ex-husband's wife. I was flabbergasted, Beth Moore says. Hold up, I said. Are you telling me you two are talking like casually? Oh, Beth, she said. She's got many problems. I feel for her. I wouldn't be in her position for anything on earth. I don't feel threatened by her anymore. I wanted to tell her she was nuts, but I couldn't deny her pervading sense of peace and liberty. What had shifted my friend's mindset, I wondered. She could no longer get away with depersonalizing the other woman. In the process of seeing her competitor trying to navigate life's inevitable challenges, my friend became less and less fixated on her as a rival. The reality is this, in this room, and my experiences have been this, and it probably, if you were very honest in your weakest moments, you compare yourselves to other women, and by doing so, you can go even a step farther and depersonalize them and, and make them to be this person that you hate and you despise. And the reason you do that is because you're insecure. You don't know who you are in Jesus Christ, and the enemy has worked it good on you, and you are letting him do that. And time, it's time, by the way, ladies, to move beyond this comparing everything around you to someone else. Why not just look at what you have? Why not take your man if you're married? Why not love your kids with all you have? Why not secure yourself in your foundation of Jesus Christ and say, man, we are blessed beyond blessed. When you begin to take your eyes off of her and put them on God, everything changes. Because of these insecurities... There's a frightening trend that's taking place amongst women. And like I said, this information I'm about to give you is, is strong information, but it needs to be spoken. And here's some realities. More and more women are getting hooked on pornography. More and more women. It's not uncommon, by the way. Even me personally. I am receiving information. When I do, I pass it on to my wife. More and more young women are being hooked on pornography. In fact, 70% of women keep their cyber activity secret from their husbands. They've never tell him. They hide it from him. 
And so there's 70% of women don't want their husbands to know. And so they're living in secret with these cyber activities that are taking place that he is not aware of. Listen to this percentage. 20% of all women, Christian or non-Christian women, have a pornography addiction. That means this. In a room of this size, and all the people that are in the link and across their world, one in five women are hooked on pornography, are addicted to it. Not just casual users, but are addicted to it. What used to be a man's problem is now a woman's addiction also. Women favor chat rooms more than men by two to one. One third of all visitors to adult websites, listen, 33% of all visitors to adult websites each month are women. 9.4 million women access adult websites each month. 13% of women admit to assessing pornography at work. Ladies, Satan is winning. Now, let let me just say this. It is so rapidly increasing in our world where women are beginning to to climb and move. The percentages are moving faster and quicker that they suspect that one day, because it remains such a secret thing with women that women could bypass men with an addiction to pornography. Listen to me. Let's stop that. Let's break that chain of sin. In a room of this size, count off every five ladies. There's a chance that in this room, there's an addiction to pornography. By the way, husbands, let me just say this to you today. Be prepared for conversations with your daughters with your wife that you've never had before. Receive what they're about to tell you if they're asking for help. Don't push them out. Listen to them. Be prepared for conversations that you never thought you might have with your wife. If you want to find victory in this relationship, be prepared for that. There's a little difference between the way genders become hooked on pornography too. It's the same pattern of exposure, addiction, desensitization to increasingly hardcore images. In fact, the main contrast between male and female porn addicts is how much more guilty women feel. By the way, I'm in conversation even now, my wife is too, with some women who have contacted us. Women who are addicted to pornography. And the first thing that this woman said As a result of this conversation, she said this to me. She said, please, Pastor Jim, don't judge me. I want to tell you something, but I'm afraid to tell you something. But I know I need to tell you this because the Spirit of God's telling me to tell you this. And I'm I'm afraid to do it, but I'm asking that you will not judge me. Will you please not judge me? I need to get this off of my heart. So responded back to her. I will not judge you. Immediately sent a response. And she said this, I've been addicted to pornography for for most of my life. By the way, that's not the only woman that's said that to me or said it to, to other women. And so when is the last time in a Bible study, when is the last time a, a woman in a Bible study or a woman, women's ministry group actually sits and talks about every woman's battle and they talk about pornography? It's just something that's not spoken. And truth is this, women feel more guilty than men because no one's talking about it. They feel shame like there's something intrinsically different Ugly more than, than, uglier than anything about them because they have this sin in their life. Porn addiction is seen as a man's problem and therefore not acceptable to women. There's a real sense among women that it's a bad, dirty, wrong, and they're often unable to get beyond that. Here's what this means, moms. There's a real good chance that your daughter, if not her or her friends, are addicted to pornography. And so when they hang out with them, there's a real good chance that they're being tested or tempted to view things and spend time in circles that you are not even aware of and maybe you never even realize. If you work with women, one in five women are probably addicted to pornography. Women are now also using as a quick way to have sex without an emotional investment, just as men traditionally have. Women who become regular users can suffer depression and low self-esteem. They're showing even more and more 
that one of the primary causes of depression is a porn addiction for women. Think about that. When's the last time you've heard that? Because it can be hard to reconcile their enjoyment of porn with their intellectual dislike of seeing women use a sex object. Porn has an instant effect on the human body and mind and the psyche, even if you disapprove of what you are seeing. By the way, Anytime a woman looks to porn to fill emptiness, it becomes an idol that replaces God. There are seven myths that I'd like to go over today regarding sexual sin for women. By the way, hear me again. I'm not just throwing this out there to be like news, like to exploit women. I want it to put out there so that women, so that you go to a woman that you can trust and so that young women can go to older women or older women can go to older women and say, I have a struggle. I need help. I need to confide because if you continue to live in secrecy, Satan will kick your butt the rest of your life. Listen, it's time to find victory and be the woman that God wants you to be. There are seven myths out there regarding sexual sin for women. The first one we've addressed The first one is this. Write these down, ladies. This is time to take notes. This is discussion. This is fodder when you meet with other ladies. Please, please write these down. The first one is this. There is nothing wrong with comparing myself or my husband to other people. Ladies, there is something wrong. It's called sin. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 shows us that if you compare yourselves to others, it's sin. Another myth that women have regarding sexual sin is this. They say, I am mature enough to watch any movie or any television show, read any book, listen to any music, or surf any website without being affected in a negative way. You know what Luke 6.45 says? It says that the man or woman brings out of her heart the good things stored out of her heart. He brings good things out. She brings good things out. The woman of God brings bad things out of her heart, out of the bad that she stored in her heart. Listen, ladies. You're not mature enough. Maturity has nothing to do with getting a barrage of images, a barrage of thoughts. You're supposed to guard your hearts, guard your minds. If you think, now listen to me, it's become a normal thing and a common thing for women to get together and say, hey, let's watch some chick flicks together. I'm not saying throw away chick flicks, and I'm not saying throw away movies, but listen to me. How often during those chick flicks do you find your mind saying, boy, I sure wish I had a man like that. Oh man, if I only had that. How often do you end up playing the role of the person in the movie? When you begin to do that, your mind has been invaded. Don't dare think that you are mature enough to watch any movie, any television program, read any book, listen to any music, or surf any website without being effective in a negative way third myth that women have regarding sexual sin. It doesn't hurt anyone if I fantasize about someone other than my own husband when we make love. Listen to me, ladies. When you fantasize about another man, you're robbing your man, your husband, of intimacy. And you are mentally making love with another man. Listen to me. When you do that, it's sin. And so you could be in like an emotionless relationship. And so if you allow yourself to walk through without any emotion, and the way you get through is by fantasizing about another man, it is sin. And when sin comes on your life, you don't live to the redemptive potential that God has created you to live. Listen, this is common occurrence amongst women. Let me give you another stark truth reality. By people a lot smarter than me, When a woman is intimate with her husband and she achieves or reaches her intimacy, and you know what that means, her her pleasure in in, in that intimate moment, generally speaking, 10% is physical for a woman and 90% is mental. In order for her to achieve that moment, that, that, that pleasurable moment in a relationship with her husband, by the way, it's only with husbands, outside of that, it's sin. 10% is physical, 90% is mental. So what are you doing? 90% of your mind, you're giving away to another man. It is a sin, ladies. Don't kid yourself to think, well, I walk through this relationship, and the only way I'm going to walk through this intimacy is, is if I think about another man. Ladies, 
You rob your husband of intimacy. You rob your God of integrity. Another reality is this. Number four, ladies, thinking about what kind of man I'd like to marry if my husband were to die is not a big deal, as long as I'm not plotting how to carry it out. By the way, this isn't uncommon. It's not uncommon in our world today. It just isn't uncommon. You damage your marriage partner by doing that. See, here's what happens. You do these mental gymnastics like, boy, he's not doing very well. And one of these days, I know I'm going to outlive him. And boy, I really like him. If I could have a husband like him, I hope he's still available. Because if he was still available, then that means that I would have this. And we could have this. And so when you begin to allow that part of your mind to go down that path, when you allow that to happen, what you're doing, ladies, listen to me, what you're doing is robbing your man of of the mental capacity of intimacy that's there. You damage your marriage with pride because you think, oh, I deserve better. One day I'll get get something better. And so you you manage it with pride and you go out and say, maybe I'll get him one day. You manage your relationship with rejection because the next one will, at least he'll appreciate me a lot more. You manage it with lust. He could be more sexy. You manage it with selfishness. I won't have to be here and listen to his stuff anymore. At least someone will care for me. You manage it with laziness because you say, I'm done here and I'm going to wait for something. Ladies, don't go down those paths. And let me tell you, this is very common vice for a woman. Fifthly, I don't throw this out for exploitation. This is truth. A myth regarding sexual sin for women is this. Women think masturbation does not hurt me. My relationship with my current or future husband or my relationship with God. Listen to me, ladies. I am in the process, my wife is too, of another woman who shared honestly, openly, and her preface was, please don't judge me. She says, I have struggled with masturbation most of my life. See, when's the last time a woman's got together with another woman and asked those kind of questions and revealed those things? It's because there's shame. You feel like this is only a man's problem. Masturbation is a way of thinking impure thoughts. And the minute you think an impure thought, you have sinned. You are saying that God can't satisfy you completely if you're a single girl and you find yourself going down this path. You're saying God isn't enough. You're saying that your man that you're married to when you're married, your husband is not enough to please you. Listen, it's sin. No ifs, no ands, no buts about it. And many, 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 many percentages are even higher than pornography addiction for women that regularly do this. Why am I telling you this? Someone's got to talk about it. Women's circles have to talk about it. Accountability partners need to talk about it. Sixthly, because I feel so sexually tempted, I must already be guilty, so why bother resisting? It's classic Satan. It's like, I shouldn't be thinking these thoughts. I shouldn't be tempted with this thought to look at that other man. I shouldn't be tempted to want to surf that site. I shouldn't be tempted to want to do this sexual sin. And so you just kind of give up and you're, he shames you to thinking that a, a born again follower of Christ shouldn't have that temptation. Please hear me, ladies. Please hear me. Temptation's not sin. If that thought runs through your mind, dismiss it and replace it with something good, something noble, something biblical. Replace that thought. It's not sin to be tempted. But what Satan does saying, well, a follower of Jesus Christ as a woman would never have that temptation. There must be something wrong with you. And so you know what he does? You might as well just give in. You let false guilt cause you to sin. The primary reason that women struggle with sexual sins is this myth here. And this is what you, you will tend to believe and say. There is no one who can understand my struggle. I've heard it personally on numerous occasions. You might be a person, a lady seated here today who says, I don't think anyone would understand my struggle. Because you fear judgment, especially since most women's Bible studies don't address the issue. Or you were betrayed by a girlfriend that you spilled your guts to. And because she was insecure, 
She gossiped about you. And so there you were. You were like poster child. And so you said, I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to get help. I'm just going to struggle the rest of my life with this. One recent survey, 2010, said this. 67% of all women, Christian or non-Christian, will experience one or more premarital or extramarital affairs in her lifetime. That breaks my heart. Listen, ladies. A woman of God needs to break that trend. Can we, can we at least agree on that today? You see, I long for my wife to be a woman that is valued, that's treasured by me. So that, number one, she doesn't have to look elsewhere. I long for her to feel so satisfied in Jesus Christ and this man that loves her named Jim Brown that she's not even tempted to look elsewhere. I long for my beautiful 17-year-old daughter to be pure. I long for her to wait until she's married to save herself for a man. Will someone please start talking about this amongst women? Will we quit hiding this and letting these young girls walk through life without anyone saying, hey, can I help you? There's all kinds of tools and resources out there. If you're a woman and you have a team of girls around you and you love them, start talking about it. Offer your help. If we don't, this trend in these percentages will soon bypass men and Satan will win. It's time he gets defeated. You see, Satan uses this lie that you're the only one struggling with this to convince you that it's, you're better off living in secrecy, which leads to more failures. You must get a friend. It's go for broke, ladies. It is. It might mean that some of you ladies who are Christ followers who have struggled with this or who just open up and say, hey, you know what? I'm tempted. I struggle. Someone's got to break the ice. If we don't, a whole generation of young girls will be lost to sexual impurity. Please, for the sake of all those precious girls that have yet to walk through the temptation, will women of God please help? Please. You've got to be a friend. You've got to be a woman who's willing to put it out there. They need you. The world needs you. Please. What are some other vices that are out there that women deal with? The gamut is long. Women deal with pride. Pride keeps you from speaking, from sharing. Pride puts you only in circles where you, you study the Bible together. And you learn new theological terms. And, and you learn all these nuances. And, and you come away with all this head knowledge. But you dare not share in this group. And you would dare not invite someone to this group that doesn't know Christ. And you never have them there. Because they don't know Christ. And they're the ones that need Christ. And you would never. And you protect yourself in these holy huddles. When is someone going to step up and say, Man, my pride has caused so many others to fail. Including myself. Another vice that women have is gossip. It's the need to reveal the junk of other people so that you feel good. Ladies, there's never a good, any good in gossip. Please, for the cause of Jesus Christ and his name and the blood he shed on the cross, no more gossip. Your identity is in Jesus. He thinks you're amazing. You don't need to compare yourself to another woman. By the way, men, it's time that we step up as husbands and make our wives feel beautiful too. We have great responsibility there. Another vice of women is this, the need to be popular. A woman will do anything to get notice when she's insecure. She'll flirt. She'll, she'll send messages that she shouldn't send. She'll join groups just to be part of it so that she's popular. Listen, when you get to the end of your life, when you stand before Jesus Christ, he's not going to ask you, are you popular? He's going to say, did you stand for me? Did you live for me? Don't you want to hear, well done, daughter, well done. Another vice of women is slander. Not only do you gossip, but you move it so far as to tell lies and give false reports because you feel better about yourself. You depersonalize another woman by doing that. 
competition, which leads to doing things to win. Even another man's ever, some ladies get so low, they might not ever admit it, but they try to flirt with other men just to know that if, if, if they were single and he was single, that he would be interested in her. Listen, ladies, that's sin. Don't do it. Don't go there. And yet for you somehow, when you're not walking in the spirit, you'll go there and, and you want to get a, a vibe back from this married man and you're married. Listen, no one wins in that case. No one wins. And you tarnish the name of Jesus Christ. Jealousy, another vice. You shut you and your family out from events or outings or connections with other couples because you're jealous. Well, if I go there, my house won't look as good as those. And if I invite them to my house, they'll look at my couch, they'll look at my kitchen, they'll look at my clothes, and I don't compare. And so what you've done, you pushed everybody out with fear that somehow someone will look at you and your marriage and what you own and your kitchen and your children. And so you don't want to be looked down upon. Listen, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what God thinks. When you finally nail that one down, you live in freedom. Freedom that walks through this world and says, I am a Christ father. I am beautiful. The king is enthralled with my beauty. I'm going to do a little jig this morning. That's what women of God do. Other ways, other vices, the list is long. Food. You're not content or comforted in your situation. So you know what you do to that happy place? You get your chocolate, you get your coffee, and you, and you even laugh about it. You get with other ladies and say, oh, this food makes me feel so much better. Let's go out and, and then I can just drown or drain out all my problems and cover them all. Listen, lady, as a friend of another friend that says that, st- stop her and say, no, we don't need this. We are secure in Jesus Christ. There's a cure out there, by the way. I don't want to leave you here, but there's this picture of women who are often described in, 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 in tender ways as, as vases or goblets. And the picture is this. God's view of you is this precious, 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 precious woman. And yet what you've created is just the opposite. And so God wants to fill you up regularly. He wants you to walk in the spirit with his love. And But what you've done is, is you've taken what God is supposed to fill up and it's supposed to bring you encouragement and power. You've taken all these vices and you've shut him off with this insecure mind, this insecure life that you live and you're trying to take control. And by doing so, all these vices that you use, you are shutting your heart off from God. This vice, gossip, slander. You use these, these other things to find contentment and joy and pleasure, pornography, sex. And so you, what you've done, you've shut God off from being the person that God is supposed to fill you up. And so the picture in Scripture is clear that God's love for us, we even sang it today, is so good, it's so much, that it can overflow us. There's this picture God is saying, let me fill you up, and you can walk in this overflowing love. This is a picture of a healthy woman of God who's filled and walking in the Spirit, who has nothing to hide. It just puts it out there and says, I am a woman in Jesus Christ and he is enthralled with my beauty. Let him fill me up and overflow. This is a picture of a woman who walks in her vices and her insecurity. God can't fill you up. And then you wonder why you're so empty. The reason you're so empty, the reason you're pursuing these paths is that you haven't let Christ fill you up. Ladies, Which goblet are you? Are you secure? You put it out there and you say, man, in Christ, I am confident. Are you hiding yourself and living in sin and secrecy? Isaiah 33, 6 reminds you, ladies, this. The Lord is your constant source of security. Psalm 112 and verses 7 to 8 says, You have no fear of bad news when your heart is steadfast trusting in God. Proverbs 4.23 reminds you, ladies, to guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Don't shut it off from God. Protect it. 1 Peter 2.11 reminds you to abstain from sinful desires. You have a pornography addiction. 
The answer and the remedy to that is starve it to death. Shut it off. Radical amputation to anything that tempts you. If this is the avenue, then throw it out. Starve yourself. Get accountability. Every week, ask the hard questions to someone. Ladies, let me just wrap these thoughts up by saying, you're the bride of Jesus Christ. And the bride is a warring bride. And too often the hardest person to fight for is yourself because you spend all your time fighting for your kids and fighting for a variety of things instead of fighting for yourself. Your heart is needed in our world. Without a healthy you, way too much is lost. Ladies, hear me today, please. From the the corners of my heart that say, I love you dearly as your pastor, please, can we have some women that would stand up and admit their failures and in doing so, would take the women that are coming through and say, let's beat this. Let's turn the tide on what Satan has done with these vices. That's what I want to see. That's what keeps me awake at night. That's what I dream about is a holy bride walking with God, advancing the kingdom and storming the gates of hell. That's what God intends for you. In closing our services today, ladies, I'm going to give you an opportunity to to say a prayer to God. It's a declaration. It's, It's a prayer that says, this is who I am. So I'm going to ask you, ladies, would you just stand with, just all the women in this room stand, please, and all the women in the link. And I'm going to ask Heather and Anastasia. They're going to walk you through this prayer. And they're going to walk you through it. And I want you to repeat it out loud. Don't be ashamed of it. This is your declaration. This is your prayer of who you are and the protection you have. And when it comes to the end, you'll fill in your name. And then we're going to close out with you singing a worship song to our God. So ladies, this is your prayer to God himself. This is what you're asking and declaring to him. My My Father Father God, whom I love and serve, I thank you that I am breathing today. I thank you for a life where nothing is wasted. A life where pain and suffering has purpose and your providence assigns a personal destiny for me, a life where you will never allow anything in my path that cannot bring you glory or me and those around me good. No matter what this day holds, I am beautiful and dazzling to you, and I am clothed with your righteousness, power, and purpose. I have an unfair advantage through the Holy Spirit to overcome any obstacle, trial, or oppression that comes my way because I am a redeemed, born-again, spirit-filled Christ follower who was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You are my security, nothing more, nothing less. No one or nothing can ever take you from me. You will keep my feet from being caught in a trap. I choose to turn my back on fear because you are right here with me. I can smile over the days to come because your plan for me is good. My heart will remain steadfast on you, and I will trust in you as my rock and defender through the good and bad times. In the end, I will triumph victoriously over my foes and refuse to give Satan any more footholds in my life. Because of you, I, Heather, am secure.